The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. Your heart and lead me in your love to those who 
Praise God. Thank you, Franklin. Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I love church. It's one of my absolute places to be in. Also, it's so good to be back in the communion meditation rotation. That's fun to say. I've missed it a lot, and it's exciting to be back. Uh, for much of my life, I have lived in fear, uh, fear of inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of rejection, feeling like I wasn't you know, good enough. I was a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven because all the really good Christians were called to ministry, specific ministry, and I wasn't. Maybe you feel that way. But I could tell you I never stopped serving the Lord through it all. I, uh, there were times when I felt really close to him. I could feel his presence. I felt like he was happy with me. Other times, not so much. And I could always have this undercurrent of a fear, being rejected by God. First, that I would never achieve success. And then after I had a measure of success, I was afraid I'd lose it all. Fear is a common human emotion. And despite the fact that the Bible tells us like 103 times, according to Google, we have reason to be afraid. It says don't be afraid, but we have reason to be afraid. The world is a very dangerous place, and it gets more so every day. I grew up here, and I mean a murder was once every 10 years, and now every time I open the paper, there's somebody on trial for that or some other heinous crime right here. Violence is all around us. The economy is in trouble. Prices are rising, supplies are diminished, inflation is on the march, and uh, every paycheck doesn't go as far as it used to. And it's going to get worse. That's kind of a buzzkill, isn't it? But don't worry. It's not so bad. The truth is there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. I had nothing to do with qualitative easing one, two, or three. In the early 2000s, I had nothing to do with the spending that's happening. Neither did you guys. These things just happen. We're now talking about minting a trillion-dollar coin, if you can imagine that. And I think that's one of the worst ideas that we can possibly do. If you think your dollar doesn't go very far now, imagine what happens when we're printing trillion-dollar coins. That's my opinion, not Central Christians nor the fine employer where I am gainfully employed. Doesn't mind. But the truth is this world is in a perpetual state of decline. There's a principle uh, established in physics called the second law of thermodynamics, and essentially it states that everything in the universe is moving towards entropy, disorder, disarray, disorganization. As the poet James Hetfield put it, we are on the way to the great destroyer, doomed design, hardwired to self-destruct. When I see platitudes on Facebook or trite sayings about not being afraid, they ring hollow for me. They don't offer me much comfort. I think that we often try to protect ourselves from the things that we fear instead of putting our faith in the Lord and choosing to trust him. To walk in faith is a decision. It is not a feeling. We have to choose to put our faith in the Lord when we see these things around us. And they're very real things. As Paul put it, we fight the good fight of faith. And I can tell you, it's a struggle. Julie told me something yesterday that I'd never heard, and it really ties in nicely with this. She was talking to my son, Tate, and she said, in the end... It's all good. And if it's not all good, it's not the end. I thought, that's pretty cool. And for those of us who believe, that's an absolute truth. If you're not a born-again Christian, please come see me or Franklin or or anybody uh, that's up here. Reagan will lead you to the Lord. Because the truth is, if you want to have true peace and not fear at all, you have to have that relationship with him that is the single most important thing. And if you don't have it, your life will never be what it's supposed to be. So it's very important to become born-again. And for those of us that are, let me just tell you this. Satan can take nothing from you that God cannot restore. And I am living proof of that. 
But you might say, I know some people who didn't make it. I know some people who prayed and God didn't answer them. Why does it work for some people and not for others? The truth is, I'm an IT guy. I like binary. Numbers make me very, very happy. And everything in computers, you sit up here and you see all this stuff, or the, the way that this is actually being broadcast, it's all ones and zeros. You turn on Netflix, you stream that stuff, it's all a whole bunch of ones and zeros going super, super fast. Yeses and nos, ons and offs, true and false, it's one or it's the other. There are no maybe bites in mathematics. It's also kind of like being a little bit pregnant. You are pregnant or you are not pregnant. So the Bible tells us things. We have a choice to believe it or not. God is either there or he's not. What he tells us in the word is the truth or it's not. There's a God or there isn't. And just because we don't understand something does not mean that we have the entire picture. In fact, I think we don't understand things because we don't have the entire picture. But the Bible tells us that eventually we will see clearly and we will understand all of this. The one thing that I can say, though, is that God is consistent and we can trust him. And his promises are real if we put our faith in him, if we put our faith in him. So do you believe the Bible or not? Because if you believe it, and so much of success in life is based on faith and placing your trust in God and obeying him and what he says, then you will overcome. Even though there's death and destruction and economic crisis all around us, you won't be harmed by it. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Praise God. He will save you. And you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Praise God. And we've seen that plague destroy lots, have we not? A thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the reward of the wicked. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life will I show him my salvation. That is a promise. The Bible has given us the end result of all these fears that come upon us. In the end result, you guys read Revelation? It's an awesome book. What happens at the end of it? We win if we're with the Lord. We will overcome. So no matter the fear in your life, no matter how bad things get, he will cause you to triumph. Eventually, folks, we will win, but we have to stay with him, and we have to trust him. And you don't have to be perfect in that. You can struggle with it. Sometimes you can have doubts, but you keep showing up. You keep praying. You keep asking him. And I'm telling you what, he is faithful and he is true. And we don't have to be afraid. The reason we don't have to be afraid is not because there are not things to fear. There are many things to fear. But we have a God who will walk with us through the fire, through the flame, and take us out on the other side. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege of being your children. Help us to overcome the fear in our lives by putting our complete trust and hope in you. In Jesus' name. American Idols. I was today years old. Have you seen this meme before? I was today years old. Um, Let me give you an example of it. It's kind of everywhere. So you've heard of Be There or Be Square, right? So I was today years old when I found out if you're not there, you're square because you're not around. See? Here's another one. I was today years old. When I found out that there is a little arrow next to the gas gauge that tells you what side 
the gas tank is on in your vehicle. I was today years old when I found that out. A couple of you are looking at me like, what? <laughs> You're welcome. You would think you wouldn't need that if you own the vehicle, but I always check. I was today years old when I found out that pickles started their existence as cucumbers. I was also uh, today years old just in the last couple of years for those last two revelations. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of not a very smart guy sometimes. I was today years old. And what makes it funny is, is how old some of us are when we come to these realizations, right? But it's also about learning, lifelong learning, about the idea that we should never stop gathering knowledge. We should continue to read, continue to pour into ourselves as far as knowledge and learning goes. But here's the thing. Application is everything. We could learn everything. We could read all the books on those shelves. We could amass all this knowledge. But if we don't apply it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't do any good for us. So the question becomes this morning, what have you learned about your idols, your functional gods, what you use to operate on a daily basis? And now what are you going to do about it? Welcome online on the radio. It is an absolute pleasure to share with you this week as we finish up our sermon series, American Idols. And I don't know about you, but this thing messed with me from the get-go, right? A lot of things that I didn't know that I struggled with, turns out I struggle with it. And, and there's another one today. Chances are you are a little bit like me. And what you worship determines who you become. It's one of the reasons why we focus on worship here at Central. Being in His presence, keeping the focus on Him and not on our circumstances, not on ourselves, not on what we can gain from a situation. No, we worship and we determine who we become in the process. And when we worship, when we sit in God's presence, when we put Him on the throne, of our lives, we become a little more like Jesus each and every day. So we're going to finish up today in Acts chapter 8. I really love this passage of scripture uh, because I love magic. There, I said it. I love magic. Uh, When I was little, probably about, I don't know, six, my my mom bought a little Fisher-Price magic set for me. And and it had like the magic wand that had a flower on the end. And there were all these little tricks. And so I would set up magic shows for people. I didn't charge anyone. Looking back, I probably should have. And and so I would do magic shows. So I love magic from an early age. I looked for the magic wand at my mom's house. She has bits and pieces of the magic set still but not the wand. So sad. I love sleight of hand. I love look over here. This is what's happening. I love the idea of illusion, the prestige, the big reveal. And so today we're going to see and reveal what Simon's heart looks like as he comes to Jesus. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 4 and we're going to go through 24, but we're only going to be going 
through 13 to start with, and then we're going to unpack that. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 4 is where we will start this morning as we read. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And as we get started this morning, we see a great wave of persecution began that day. And if we back up just a little bit, we see a a man holding jackets, cloaks, watching them fall at his feet as those people pick up stones and rocks and, and, and they kill Stephen. And this man named Saul goes on an absolute tear. And he pulls men and women out of their homes that are Christian. And and he takes them to task over and over and over again. And Saul is relentless, so much so that they scatter. The apostles scatter. Now, some of them stay in Jerusalem, but some of them go to other places. And instead of cowering in fear... Philip settles in Samaria and he begins to share the good news about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. And and the crowds respond. They hear his message. They see the miraculous signs that he did. And there is great joy. Do you know what a counterfeit is? I, I know that's a super abrupt transition. But we need to know what the definition is while we continue. Here's the definition. A counterfeit is the exact imitation with the intent to deceive. The old switcheroo. A counterfeit is not only limited to currency, some guy with an HP printer and a really good art degree. No, Satan has been dealing in the counterfeit from the beginning. It looks like success. It looks like love. It looks like the real thing. Except it's not. It's a cheap imitation. And a counterfeit promises the world, but it never delivers. It says here, if you have all the power, this is what's going to fulfill you. If you are able to control all of your circumstances, then you're going to be okay. Turns out, the more control you have, the more you understand that you have no control. 
It's something that never delivers, always promising and never fulfills their side of the bargain. A counterfeit makes promises it can't keep. And Simon, for all intents and purposes, is a counterfeit, right? He never bothered to correct the people when they called him the power of God that is called great. You notice in in my translation at ESV, it may be different in yours, but great is uppercase, meaning deity. Like they thought he was a God and Simon was like, "Ah, well, there is that. He never mentioned that he wasn't. He let them think the way they wanted to. And they paid attention to him until they stopped paying attention to him. So what happens then when your influence, your impact is gone? And now the people start to believe Philip's message. And, and Philip goes a, a step further when he proclaims Jesus Christ because many men and women are, are baptized. And Simon's one of them. And he starts traveling with Philip. Philip turns around, Simon's right there, over and over and over again. And I wonder, maybe, just maybe, Simon had a notebook, and he was taking those notes, right? Every magician worth their weight is trying to figure out some other magician's tricks. And to to him, Philip was just another magician, right? You've got some fancy flash, and I want to know how you did that. And an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything. Anything you elevate above the Creator. Your spouse, alcohol, work, sports, success, money, anything. You elevate more than God anything you put on the throne and move Him to the side. This is what an idol is. And what is more important to you than God? I know where you are. I understand the question we're supposed to give. You're crazy. There is nothing more important to me than God. Yes. Except that's not really how we feel. It may be how we feel. It may be what we say. It may be what we profess. But it's not how we operate, is it? There are other things that compete for our attention. There are other ways in this world that we try to cope, that we try to get ahead. And sometimes they don't have anything to do with God. Power is a tricky idol because it's hidden. Idol of control, I mean, you can see that coming a mile away, right? If you try to control all of your circumstances, if you got all your ducks in a row, if you make sure that you leave no stone unturned, now there's nothing wrong with that, but if you are completely fixated on that and you're completely terrified of the uncertainty of it all, you may have an idol of control. Maybe you say you you have an idol of success. That's really easy to spot too, right? You try to grab everything you can. You try to grab material things. You try to grab anything that will make you feel better, that will make you get ahead. Again, it's really easy to spot. But the idol of power is tricky. And you might struggle with it and you don't even know. I do. Let me ask some questions and you can ponder. Do you get angry when you are disrespected? Do you get angry when you're disrespected? When somebody calls you 
out. When you are wrong or somebody tells you you're wrong, do you get angry? If you do, then there's a chance that you may have an idol of power. Is making an impact what drives you? I've got to make an impact. I've got to have influence. I've got to make my mark. I've got to let people know that I was here. Now, there's nothing wrong with making your mark, but if that's the only thing that is your singular focus, then chances are you could have an idol of power. And the last one, which was a gut punch for me. Are you afraid of being humiliated? Are you afraid of being humiliated or wrong to the point that you don't say anything? You don't put yourself in a position where they'll laugh at you. You started laughing along with them and they continued and you stopped. And that was the last time you spoke out. Chances are you may have an idol of power. You're never going to put yourself in that position again. What's your motivation? What are you doing in the name of God? Do you know that those things can be idols too? You started doing something in the name of God and everything was going great. And then more and more, God kind of moves off into the shadows. You don't talk about his part much anymore, but you're still going your own way. You're rationalizing what you've done. And friends, the Lord will not rip the idol from your hands. He's not going to rip it from your hands. He's not going to say, you're not supposed to have that and grab it away from you. And here's the reason, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? Reagan talked about salvation and the beauty of salvation, the beauty of how he loves us is God loves us so much that he gives us the free will and the choice to choose to love him back. We choose that. Can you imagine what that takes? And the idols we possess are indicated by our thoughts and actions. Again, professed God, functional God. Professed is what we say, right? Functional is what's really happening, what is dictated by our actions. And so let's go back to the story. Uh, Don't want to leave... the cliffhanger for too long. And we'll be in verse 14 and we're going to see what happens with Simon. Remember, Simon has just been baptized. He is a believer. He's following Philip around. All is well. So let's continue reading. We're in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw 
that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond, the chains of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So Peter and John were sent to Samaria from Jerusalem. And at that time, Jerusalem was the headquarters, the main hub for church matters. There were some of the apostles that stayed in Jerusalem while the others scattered. And they were excited to hear of the revival that was happening in Samaria. Now, this is a huge deal because Samaritans were hated. They were loathed half Jewish, half Gentile, said they were Jews of the conquered northern kingdom that intermarried with foreigners. Not pure, not worthy, not clean, hated. In fact, in rabbinic Judaism, a Samaritan woman was always considered unclean. There was not a thing she could do about it. So Peter and John make their way to Samaria. And it says the Holy Spirit had not fallen. The Holy Spirit had not fallen. It says that in, in verse 16. This specific scripture reference. And there are very viable theories for what is happening in verse 16. There's two or three of them that you could really make a case for. But I'm not going to unpack those right now for sake of time. I'm going to settle on the one that speaks to my heart the most. Again, this is the one that resonates with me. I believe that the reason why the Holy Spirit had not fallen, the reason why it takes the laying on of hands from the apostles, is because this is visible evidence to confirm to the Samaritans Unclean, unworthy, not good enough. And the apostles, that they were indeed part of the spirit-filled body of believers. They were made right, as Paul says in his letter to the Romans. They were cleansed. They were just like the Jews. God is, is doing this beautiful new thing. He is restoring. He is making whole. He is calling all of us to him. He is jealous for me. How he loves us. Even though we were dumpster fires, he still loves us. He still calls us to him. Doesn't matter who we are. He still extends that unconditional love. And we just sang it, pour your spirit out in that song, that song right now for me. We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. We need a holy anointing. We need the power of your presence. Here's the thing. You may be able to identify your idols, but you will never be able to crush them or destroy them on your own. You've tried that over and over and over again, and another idol takes its place. The only way you can destroy them is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We need a fresh wind. We need a holy anointing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And through that, we are able to crush our idols. But we've got to allow that to happen because the Lord will not rip the idol from our hands. So the Spirit is given by the laying on of hands by the apostles. And I wonder if Simon's eyes grow wide. And he goes, oh man, I need that. Oh, that is beautiful. I don't know how you did that, but that's pretty cool. Here's some money. We take that. I think I got a little bit more in another purse. Let me grab that real quick. Are you a collector? Again, I know, abrupt transition. I mean, this is kind of what happens in my head, right? Are you a collector of things? Are you a collector? Uh, I am, right? I believe that uh, my garage is a place for things I will use someday. Yes? Let's just, let's just take a quick poll of all the guys in the room and say, how many of you guys believe this with me? I have a garage, and it's a place where I store things that I will use someday. Raise your hand, please. Yes, thank you for validating what I, what I have become. Here's the thing. When I say I cleaned my garage, this is what I really mean. I moved stuff around. And I used a shop vac. That's what that means. Every single time. And we see Simon's heart here. Because he offers the apostles money for the authority. And in Simon's mind, the Holy Spirit is just something to put on the shelf with all the other tricks and resources. In Simon's mind, he yearns so much for that influence and that impact. He misses that. The people hung on his every word, and now not so much. But hey, if I had that one thing, if I could just move stuff over a little bit and put that on the shelf right next to it, then that would help out a lot, wouldn't it? I would be able to add it to my collection. Here's an idea that I've been struggling with. Idols of power are not only for the powerful. You can insert any idol there. Idols of control are not only for the controlling. Idols of comfort are not only for those that are comfortable. We see the preacher, you know, maybe he's wanting a larger platform. If only I could reach more people, right? And you see this guy, like, just going and and just in everything. And we say, oh, power, come on, man. Maybe we see a tech giant, right? I'm not going to name which one because we're streaming on the platform right now. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, we see a tech giant. He's gobbling up all the other little startups. He's grabbing more and more and more and more. And it's never enough. Build this conglomerate. And we say... What are you doing? And we see those people that have power and they take and they take more power. They have authority and they take and they take more authority. And we say, what is wrong with you? But I believe if we take away something, there's a really good chance we'll erect an idol. 
goes a little something like this. I'm terrified of being rejected. I have a fear of rejection. I have a fear that nobody wants me, that I am unworthy of somebody's love. So I go looking for love in all the wrong places. I, I go seeking people's approval. I mold myself depending on what they say. It's not really me anymore, but I don't know what else to do. In my fear of rejection, I've erected the idol of approval. Maybe we have a fear of uncertainty. For whatever reason, maybe it was a a sudden death in the family. Maybe it was just circumstances, goodness. Maybe it was COVID. I mean, that was the worst for me. My, My head is still reeling from that. I'm still dealing with some of that residual stuff. And all this uncertainty and all those plans that you had, and then all of a sudden they come to a screeching halt. You just want to be able to control anything, right? Grasping at straws, you grab any little control that you can have and you erect in the process an idol of control. I mean, you believe that God is in control, but that's not how you operate. You try to take care of it for him. You believe that your worth is in Jesus Christ, but you go looking for your worth in other places. And maybe we have a deep-seated fear of stress. The demands on our schedule. If you're anything like me, if you don't put it in your phone, it doesn't exist because your mind is just going a hundred different ways. So instead of letting God be your peace and comfort, you make an oasis in the backyard. You order a ton of stuff on Amazon. Anything to make you feel better. I just want to feel better. I just want to feel comfortable. I just want to put my feet up. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Please put your feet up and watch a football game today. But when that is your main focus, when that is the only way you think you can be comfortable, you've just erected an idol. And the last one that I didn't think I struggled with, the fear of humiliation. You were laughing with them, you stopped, and they continued. And somewhere along the way, maybe you're like me, and you developed a broken soundtrack. You hate to be wrong. You hate when people question if you are right or wrong. Because somewhere in your head, you've equated wrong with less. And every time I'm wrong, I'm less. I'm less of a person. It's a broken soundtrack. It's something that we should destroy and replace with a new one. That it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to fail. Because Jesus is better than all that. I love the scripture. I I think it's in Proverbs. Fall seven times. Get up eight. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do that. But we hold on to these idols with every ounce of strength we have left. So, here's an honest question, right? Other than God, who or what am I trying to build a life through? 
Be honest with yourself. Other than God, who or what am I trying to build a life through? What idols have you constructed as your firm foundation, as the way that you operate from day to day? I've got this routine, Franklin. I've got a little time for God, but I've got to do all this other stuff, right? What are you building your life on? When we sing the song, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. We've sung it so many times lately, I'm sure you've got it memorized, right? Uh, On Sunday, last week, I told Marie that I was cleaning the garage. We had just finished a project. Um, She kind of came in, you know, my garage is always askew, like there's stuff everywhere after a project, right? So I'm starting to put a couple of things away. She's doing harder work, so then she comes to find me. She's like, hey, what are you doing right now, right? <laughs> and I'm cleaning my garage. She's like, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning my garage. And I shuddered. I shed a little tear when I saw her grab the trash can and move it over. I'm like, what, what, what are you doing right now? <laughs> I don't throw anything away. <laughs> I just move it around. I believe that the Lord is telling us to throw some stuff away today. We've moved it around for way too long. We never got rid of it. We moved it over to the side and then we put him right next to it. And God's saying, I want no other gods before me. He's jealous for me. He's jealous for my love so much that he gives me the ability to choose to love him back. He doesn't want anything above him. We've got to throw some stuff away. Idols don't love you back. Approval, success, power, they could care less if you attain them. Idols are a bully on the playground. Have any of you dealt with the bully on the playground? I've got a couple of funny stories about that to you. I was not the bully, by the way. Bully on the playground draws a line on the sand. Cross that line right now. We cross it, moves back a little bit, draws another line in the sand. Cross that one and over and over and over again. Here, I'll give you some power. Oh, wait, that's not enough, is it? Let me give you some more power. More and more and more. But it's never enough. We're trying to fill our hearts with the stuff of earth when only a God-sized hole is there. We're filling it with the wrong things. We don't know what happens to Simon in Scripture. We know that, that Simon pleads with Peter to pray for him. But we're not really sure what happens after that. There are a couple of references that are outside of Scripture about Simon the magician, though. They may give kind of an indication of what happens. In the English language, there's actually a word, simony, that means the buying or selling of a church office. It originates from his name. According to some of the early Christian fathers, they said that Simon the magician was the founder of Gnosticism. Gnosis is, is, is the root there for knowledge. 
Gnosticism believes in um, illusion and enlightenment. And they have no need for sin or repentance. Peter says something to Simon, and I believe he's saying something to us today. You have neither part nor share in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Is your heart right before God? Have you been erecting one idol after another? Have you been singing, make room, but there's no room to be had? As the team comes up, just one more thought. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Now, I know that Rich, my uh, terribly intelligent friend, talked about the thermodynamics rule, right? Was it the second rule? How many... How many rules are there of thermodynamics? Okay. Entropy, right? It's the idea that we're either living or dying, the idea that we're either growing closer to God or moving away. But nothing changes if nothing changes. If if you listen to what was said today and you walk out and you don't change a thing about your life, then nothing is going to change in regards to your idols. If you don't change any of your routines, any of your focus, then nothing's going to change. You're going to stay the same. There's knowledge, but there's no application. Today, as we sing, make room. Are you ready to change? Are you ready to crush the counterfeit? Are you ready to destroy those idols? Are you ready to allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he needs to do? We're going to give you an opportunity right now. While we sing, if you would like prayer, come up to the front. If you want to just pray at the altar, come up. But take this time to search your heart. What idols have I been constructing? What do I need to crush and focus on the Lord? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.